So, welcome uh, to the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. Today, uh, we're going to be doing just a very kind of open phone lines, um, kind of group participation, uh, a seminar maybe, I guess you could say, uh, on, on the Democratic Party's kind of inaction and how that's leading to voter apathy. Uh, you know, this isn't a very new topic uh, for me uh, and for many of you uh, that I can already see in here, I know that I, I know that this stuff is not uh, something that that you guys don't share. I know that a lot of you share uh, these views already, anyway. But I think it is worth examining and kind of looking at uh, where things are right now in early July, with uh, another election just almost exactly four months to the day away. And it just seems like one crisis after another. So let's kind of go through some of that stuff. So last month, uh, we two months ago, or in May, the Uvalde shooting, uh, the massacre at the elementary school in Texas, uh, where you had uh, multiple children uh, shot and killed, uh, completely ineffective, ineffectual uh, police response that led to calls for some sort of gun control, some sort of action on on gun violence that ended up to be that, that they wanted to make it bipartisan because they have no party discipline in the Senate, so they can't break the filibuster. So what it ends up being is just this kind of uh, watered-down, kind of lukewarm, uh, actually kind of, like a, kind of like warm milk is the way that I would describe it. It's not, it hasn't quite gone off. Like there's some stuff in it, I guess, that's, tolerable but uh this this bill passed you know it's been touted as as this huge um major moment in in uh the legislative accomplishments of president biden in reality it just was kind of watered down really didn't do anything and and, and no matter what your feelings are on on gun laws and i understand that there are uh some very strong uh reasons to be opposed to like new gun laws for you know for who it would uh, for, for for who would suffer the most under the enforcement, et cetera. Like, I get that. I think that it is interesting, though, to kind of look at, uh, it, it, for the purposes of what we're talking about, to kind of look at the way that it just didn't really deliver on anything that they've been promising their base that they would deliver on for decades. Um, and so then, of course, we have the, uh, the Roe decision coming down. You know, we've covered that on the show quite a bit. I've covered that in my writing quite a bit. Uh, the road decision that came down and the democratic reaction to that, which was basically uh, vote for us and give us vote for us in four months and give us money uh, now to so that we can get you to vote for us. Um, not a very strong message, not something that I think is particularly powerful. There's new reporting out today from Vox's Rachel Cohen uh, entitled uh, Senate Democrats slowly consider their options after Roe. It's basically what you would expect. Uh, the caucus is uh, n not even so much divided, but they're just completely apathetic. They have no idea what they're doing, really. There are multiple different kind of competing interests within the within the Senate caucus, uh, but none of it is really going anywhere. Uh, you know, and and it does name drop, of course, Mansion and Cinema, uh, the two senators, uh, Mansion from West Virginia, Cinema from Arizona, who have blocked any attempt to uh to get rid of the filibuster to get this stuff through but then you know like that kind of really 
brings up like the question of if if it wasn't for them, then who would it be, right? That, because it, if if it was just them, you would think that they would be able to get them in line, that they would be able to threaten to whip uh, the votes to to make it happen. But it just hasn't happened. This would be to eliminate the filibuster to codify Roe. Uh, so that hasn't happened uh, today. Uh, no, sorry, uh, uh, two days ago, uh, this new report comes out from San Diego. Uh, Biden is breaking yet another promise uh, to build the border wall. Uh, he's going to. So this is in this place called Friendship Park. This is actually like pretty cruel. I, I want to kind of explain what this is. So Friendship Park in San Diego is this one kind of uh, part of border fencing where you can see through and you can talk through. Uh, the barrier. So a lot of times families uh, on either side of the border will come to this park and they'll talk to each other. They'll tell people, they'll tell each other about, you know, their, um, their, their respective families, how everything's going. Um, and the Biden administration has decided they're going to just like replace that kind of porous border with these huge kind of slat walls that you can't talk through, that you can't get a message through. It's just kind of, it's like impossible to, to make any kind of uh, to kind of get through to, to to other members of your family, and so it, it's 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 just like uh, an, an example of the cruelty being the point, which is something that we heard a lot during the Trump administration. This is, of course, a Trump policy: the border wall that has now been continued uh, under Biden, and this like particularly cruel and vicious way of doing it to just block people off from from their families. I think is 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 pretty gross. Um, so that's kind of the way things are. I mean, I've talked about, and, and like I said, I mean, open phone lines, you guys can jump into the call whenever you want. Um, just, just hit the, uh, hit the plus button and get in the queue and I'll get to you guys, uh, as soon as I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this is just another example of how, uh, the Democrats have this opportunity. They have this option of making, uh, a push to not lose seats in uh, the president's first term to, 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 to kind of do this thing that is not normally done, uh, that normally the president's party will lose seats. There's, I mean, they, they, they could uh, make some sort of a, a push to get voters uh, to listen to them, to kind of uh, make clear like what the stakes are here. They're just refusing to do that. And what they're really doing here, I think, is they are actually giving voters reasons not to vote for them. They are showing voters that they just don't have a plan for basically anything. Again, you know, like they knew that uh, that this row decision was coming for over a month. They did nothing to really prepare for it. Like I said, I mean, this Rachel Cohen piece of the Vox is really worth reading just to kind of get an idea of how they just don't really have a plan for anything. Um, I would say that uh, my article that I recently wrote about uh, Democrat, and then we'll get to the callers right after this. I just do want to uh, just note a couple things that is in this article that I wrote. So I talked to like some rank and file Democrats, and uh, this was shortly after the Highland Park. This is like a day after the Highland Park shooting in Illinois during the uh, during the the Fourth of July parade there, and people were just. Uh, I mean, these are Democrats, right? These aren't like lefty independents. They these aren't. I even like specifically made the call. To say, hey, you know, I don't want to talk to DSA affiliated people either. I want to talk to like, I mean, liberal lefty Democrats, that's fine. But I just want to talk to like people who are within the party. And like over and over again, I'm just hearing like, I'll, I'll just, I'll just give you guys a couple of quotes of this, and then, and then we'll go to Alex here for the first call. So it makes me so damn mad after a week we just had. 
Uh, and it, this is from Will in Brooklyn later on. He says, what is the point of putting these people in power if they just go all learned helplessness? Basically saying that, you know, what's the point if they, if they can't do anything? He says they count on Republicans being barbaric so that they can just barely clear the lowest possible bar and also benefit from their constituents shaming anyone thinking of holding out or complaining that they should do more. Um, Sam, a 40-year-old woman in New Mexico, every election makes me feel a little less sure my vote accomplishes anything all, at all. So I'm barely hanging on by a thread to the whole idea. And then here come Joe and Nancy urging me to vote in four months while they sit on their hands. When Nancy was throwing her weight behind what a week before Uvalde and anti-gun control Democrat, that's uh, Henry Kular, uh, the incumbent who was running against uh, progressive challenger Jessica Cisneros. Um, and it was, you know, his 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 move was to uh, anti-abortion, uh, uh, pro 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 gun Democrat who got the support of not only Pelosi, but also Clyburn. Um, Sam also says it seems like the only thing they are prepared to do after something bad happens is uh, push out fundraising emails. Uh, you know, I did hear from, you know, Danny, uh, Terros, I think I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly in Kansas, who's trying to, uh, reform, uh, the party. I mean, he, he did, he did make a call, which I think is probably like the most cogent, uh, lefty or, or, even, or maybe liberal, um, appeal, uh, to people to vote for the Democrats, which is you, good Lord. People fascism is one election away. We've got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and get angry and get involved. Look, I understand that uh, perspective. I think that a lot of people, though, are just really sick of being offered nothing except for uh, you need to do this. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm interested to hear from you guys. Uh, we have we have a couple of callers here. Please, anybody else, uh, feel free to just get in the in the queue. Uh, we'll start with Alex Lawson. Alex has been on the show before. Uh, so excited to hear what you have to say. Hey, Alex, how are you? I'm good. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> given the circumstances, I've actually been spiraling for a couple weeks here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I'm just so, I mean, as much as I have no faith in the Democrats, I don't think I've ever um, experienced a time where, uh, like, the president and Congress didn't at least pretend to try. Like, for any presidency, like, any Congress that I can think of since I was born. Like, even if even Obama made it look like he was trying, like, even though he was, like, putting awful people in his cabinet and whatever, like, I just don't even see any effort at all. It's it's, it's like we don't have a government at this point. Um, and it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying that the trolley problem is you can just watch. Like, you don't have a choice. You know, there's nothing, nobody coming to save us. And I think, you know, this just vote... Uh, in four months, four and a half months thing is um, absurd because they're predicating any action on a moonshot of winning two Senate seats when Chuck Schumer still to this day refuses to hold a vote on the filibuster. So we know exactly how many Democrats are opposed to reforming it. And uh, yeah, you, I, you, I, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to interrupt here. I mean, do you think that they are like that they're afraid that, that that's going to like kind of tip their hand that you're going to see how many it really is. Yep. Uh huh. I would, I would a hundred percent, like I would bet my life savings on the fact that, uh, that everybody that voted down the, the minimum wage is against the filibuster reform. And there's zero shot in my mind that Chris Coons is for that. So, uh, you know, it's absurd to say, well, we just need two more senators. No, you don't. You're not even telling the truth. So even if like a miracle happened, we still had a majority. We're still not going to have enough senators 
to reform the filibuster. And if all they're going to do is do a carve out for this and a carve out for that, then all we're doing is uh, is reactive politics, you know, and defensive politics of like, oh, well, let's wait till this completely illegitimate court that we're still legitimizing takes another right away and then we'll codify it. And it's it's absolute malpractice to to throw that on the voters when you have four and a half months when Joe Manchin still sits as a um, uh, on the on the energy committee as a coal baron when there's been no consequences for either of these Democrats when Joe Biden is going behind our back and uh, appointing a a federal judge to oh, a fuck yeah life- i forgot about that one yeah a lifetime appointment it, and i'm like so tired of the people on twitter saying oh it's not true it's not happening and even if it did it's what what are you going to do it's a it's a democrat it, it, it's in kentucky that's not how federal judgeships work and the trade-off he made is like mitch mcconnell's word and two temporary uh prosecutors or something like that like it, it's an absurd deal it's a betrayal of of everything or whatever this party stands for i i couldn't tell you you know but you know yeah. you would think that the bare minimum would be roe versus wade right right you would think that and i just want to stay with you here alex for a second and um and and, and for any of the later hours if you want guys want to get in the queue and join the conversation just hit the plus sign there um you know i as as someone you know like you've been in this progressive world before uh you know you've you've worked uh with democrats and 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 in the kind of progressive ngo space uh nonprofit space um you know w- when you look at what's going on now and you look at the work that you did a few years ago um does it feel like things are worse does it feel like things are the same uh, are are you have you just changed like are you like maybe a little more cynical about it is it is it some kind of a combination there i think it's a combination of both for sure like as you know as i've moved further to the left and became a socialist and all that you know i can see like critical problem but i also see you know there are people that are even like moderate democrats that do want to fight the republicans but i i just think the problem is that we have a party that is been in a defensive crouch since 1994. Um, They're completely corrupted by capital. And what this country needs is in direct opposition to capital. So, and they were, they refuse to, to stand against their donors ever. And now we have a decrepit leadership that hasn't changed hands in the house since 2002. Uh, The same three people who are all in their eighties now. And and then we have a Senate that's fundamentally broken, um, that doesn't have apportionment. These these people didn't even fix voting rights. Like, I literally voted in the general only for Joe Biden to, to do something about COVID and to do voting rights. I had no expectations beyond that. But I, I was, like, shocked that they don't even have that kind of self-preservation instinct. So I think it's, like, absolute incompetence and corruption. I think it has to be both. Because even if you're corrupt, you can act like you're doing something. But they can't even act like they're doing something. They're just pathetic. Like, they're just so pathetic. It's so embarrassing. Like, it's so embarrassing that they're just letting the country collapse. And then Joe Biden's, you know, signaling that, that uh, oh, and how uh, Xavier Becerra said something like, uh, like, well, we wouldn't want to say the court's illegitimate now, would we? And it's, uh, yeah, we have he's, to re- he's, yeah, he, he, he basically was kind of framing it like, uh, you know, would, like, like, what would you have us do? Like, to, you know, declare, declare the court legitimate, like not, you know, uh, ignore the ruling. And it's like, well, yeah, like that's, yeah, yeah that is what people <laughs> want you to do like that. You know, um, 
it's pretty clear that that's what people want. So why would you not? I mean, maybe maybe you don't want to do it for whatever reason. But like asking that question, like it's so like out of line. Is like, well, no, that's what people are are literally asking. Yeah, I mean, it is a corrupted institution, and we have a president who believes more in institutions than people, and it's a, it's a problem. You know, he he cannot get out of 1982. And it is going to destroy this country. It's absolutely terrifying. Like even with the with they're trying to convince us to vote for them, but then they keep making deals with the Republicans and they keep talking about how Mitch McConnell's a good guy and they keep talking about ultra MAGA instead of saying Republican. Like where on where on my ballot is it gonna say ultra MAGA? Why are you protecting the Republicans and trying to reform the Republican Party instead of fixing your own fucking party and helping people? It's so frustrating. <laughs> it's yeah, just well, like I mean, like like either either the either the, the GOP is a threat to democracy and an existential threat to like the country, or uh, we need a strong Republican Party. But you can't have both, right? You can't have both. And and I'm pretty sure we have a strong Republican Party. Last time I checked, they're rolling. Yeah, they back seem with- to be they they <laughs> seem to be doing pretty well. All right. Well, yeah, thanks, well, Alex. Um, what well, well, uh. Maybe uh, stick around, and maybe we'll have you jump back in uh, in a few minutes. Let's go to uh, let's go to Bob here. Uh, Bob, uh, you should be all set. Just go ahead and unmute yourself, and there you go. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well, thanks. What's up? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I I, I guess what I wanted to chime in on is just specifically not just on a federal level, but at the state and local level, how uncoordinated or unplanned. The Democratic Party is throughout the country. Uh, I live in New Orleans and, you know, obviously Louisiana is a red state, but the Louisiana Democratic Party got recently taken over, uh, you know, by the anti-choice wing of the Democrats in Louisiana. And now it's 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 not even, you know, like a Coke versus Pepsi argument anymore. It, it, it's literally just one party trying to make compromises before you even get into a conflict with uh, the Republicans but even on a local level, like New Orleans is, you know, a blue island in the midst of this red state. Uh, all of our city council is Democrats. Our mayor is Democrats. And yet in spite of that, they're almost like giving fodder to the right to say, look how inept and incompetent a strong Republican majority is on, you know, in any type of, of level, whether we're talking about executive or legislative. And it's just it, it's getting very frustrating when, you know, you're trying to advance progressive movements in these, you know, liberal cities and you're getting the the pushback from the liberals. It's like, I I don't know how to even try to communicate with people about, you know, the horseshoe theory is a lie that it it doesn't matter about pushing left or pushing right. It's, it's trying to find some cohesion within a, you know, a, a left party, whether that's the Democrat or, you know, some other third party, but, yeah, I'm, I'm just finding the frustration of, of, you know, there's no federal leadership and that kind of, uh, you know, carries over to the state and local level, which is like the most impactful for day to day people. Yeah, it does seem about. to have a trickle down effect, right? Like like the weakening of of well, it's like it goes up and down, right? Like the weakening of the state and, and local and city parties has an effect of like weakening the superstructure of the party which then has an effect on the national where you end up with like, you know, like the president is like a 78 year old man with like, you know, who, who in, instead of having it be like somebody younger, right. There's not like a lot of young leadership because that leadership usually comes up through the local and state party. And like the more that national uh, 
deprioritizes and kind of like cuts national uh, cuts the local stuff down, then it just it just like it, it kind of snowballs, right? It, it's just this kind of uh, circular. Um, well, uh, I don't know if that's the exact right word, but you know what I'm saying. It's like like the like the worm eating its tail, like the dragon eating its tail. It's like that mm-hmm. thing's just a constant like churn. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if the ditching of the you know 50 state policy that you know Howard Dean was trying to push through when when he was in the DNC, I, I wonder the if, if that's you know the repercussions of that you know canceling that or not even furthering that policy to actually try to fight competitively in every single state has just completely abandoned large swaths of the country, many of which are, are Democrats, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's like they put up a white flag before the fight even started. And it's, it's not even beyond complacency. It's just like kneecapping themselves. Like that meme where the, the dude sticks a stick in his bike tire and then, you know, doesn't know why he fell. And it, it just gets kind of frustrating for me to, you know, try to go to bat for the Democrat party when, you know, they're not even playing. Yes. Yes, definitely. And, and so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, uh, Dean's, um, 50 say strategy, because this is like one of my, and, 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 and thanks Bob, uh, stick around and, and, and maybe jump back in a little bit. Um, but I, I do want to just kind of talk about this for a second. You know, Howard Dean ran, uh, the DNC, uh, from, I believe, 2005 to 2009, right? And, like, there are a lot of complaints to make about Howard Dean. Um, I know that there have been a lot made, certainly within the last six-plus years. Um, he's 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 not great on a lot of things, but he was right uh, on a political electoral level about the importance of trying to compete in every single state and every single county across the U.S. And you can see the way that that worked in 2008, when Obama won all of these states that were just had had previously been completely out of reach and ours are now once again out of reach. I'm talking about like uh, 2008. I think he won like Indiana, Iowa. Um, you know these these are these are states that uh, were gettable because of the fact that Dean pursued uh, the this electoral strategy uh, of of like a 50 state strategy and uh, that approach was shuttered almost instantly uh once uh president obama be- once obama became president uh and he you know installed i can't remember who he installed exactly but like at the head of the dnc who then uh disposed of the 50 state strategy was no longer like interested in that and moved to kind of a more centralized democratic party uh my theory and there's nothing this is just like my like like opinion, but what I think basically happened is that Obama was like, "Well, no, I won, and I am a charismatic like once in a lifetime figure, and I'm going to be able to uh, get people to stick with the Democrats uh, purely from the force of my own charisma and my personality." Um, and obviously, that didn't work, and now we we are where we are. I and mean, you saw that in 2010, without having a strong uh, DNC. Uh, with with uh, I believe Acorn was already gone at that point. They didn't replace it with anything. I mean, there are just all of these uh, mistakes that were made well over a decade ago that have had these lasting ramifications, these lasting effects. And and I think Bob is completely right. Like not having a strong party at the local and state level is very difficult for Democrats. And I, I'm I'm sure that a lot of people who might be 
inclined to vote for Democrats or inclined to join the party and try and push it left are just not inclined to do it because they don't see a point to it and they don't see any kind of like consistent uh, dedication uh, to, to, to building it up uh, from the, the national leadership. And so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that like for Democrats, that is probably uh, something that's, that's, that's pretty disappointing. Let's take Scott. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining us again. Uh, how are you? Not bad. How about yourself, Owen? Oh, doing well, doing well. What's up? Um, so my question is kind of tangential. Um, I was wondering if you had seen any of the stuff that's been going on with uh, J.B. Pritzker. I know that the that he's been getting a little bit of uh, press because of the there's like a socialist for Pritzker uh, Twitter account and and like Nathan J. Robinson kind of took a look at him in Current Affairs uh, and was wondering if you had seen anything or or heard about him. Yeah, well, um, you know Pritzker is governor of Illinois. He just won the. Um, uh, Scott, I'll come back to you here in a second. Um, you know, he, he just won his primary. Uh, he's the incumbent governor. He just won the primary. He gave an acceptance speech that was, that seems pretty clear that it was kind of, a, you know, an introduction to running for president, right? Like this was, this was kind of a stump speech in which he said a lot of things that I think Democrats would like to hear about how, uh, you know, like they need to do away the filibuster. They need to fight uh harder on on any number of issues um but you know i i am i'm unsure uh about pritzker's appeal uh once people start looking at him i mean there is uh th- th- there's some whispers of corruption um he was the guy who uh the, the the former Illinois governor was talking to uh, when when he was trying to sell Obama's uh, Senate seat. Um, he was the uh, uh, he's he's been dumping money into promoting a far right candidate uh, to oppose him. Uh, from from what I understand, which is you know not something that I think is a particularly smart move politically to to you know to give money to your opponents. Um, and I think that for uh, for some people, at least, uh, his support of Hillary Clinton, um, his donations to David Brock's Correct the Record back in 2016, may well end up being the kind of thing that uh, bothers people, that, that, that makes them feel uncomfortable uh, with supporting him, uh, because perhaps they're kind of believing that he is one kind of candidate when, you know, in fact, he's, he is actually a pretty standard Democrat. Um, I, you know, I think he does have, uh, yeah, uh, Blagojevich. Thank you. Um, so I, I think that I, I think it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Could he win? I mean, I think that he does have like a level of appeal to, to people that, that, uh, a lot of other, potential candidates. I really don't think that Biden is going to run again. So like, you know, you kind of got to like, look at who that leaves. Right. So it's like you have uh, Kamala Harris, who's probably like one of the worst politicians I've seen in recent times. Uh, she's, she's, she's not particularly good at giving speeches. She's not particularly good at, uh, you know, doing the, doing the basic stuff that you need to do 
as as a politician doing the retail politics, uh, doing doing the, the rhetoric, etc. Um, so yeah, like so then you have Klobuchar who never really caught fire. You have Buttigieg who's pretty slick, but I don't know if he has appeal that that goes beyond that. Um, I guess you have Bernie, but he's like you know it like eighty. He'll be eighty two then or eighty one. I mean that's pretty old. Um, I don't I don't really think that that's. Uh, a, a viable uh, candidate. Um, I am pretty sure that we're going to see Hillary Clinton uh, running again. I'm I'm sorry, guys, but I I have reason to believe that that is almost certain to happen. Um, so you know, like I, I think that th- there's not a particularly strong field right now. So somebody like Pritzker could easily uh, jump in there and and take over and 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 do well. Um, what that kind of campaign looks like, it looks like it would probably be a pretty populist campaign. He'd be name dropping a lot of policies that Bernie ran on and they kind of, and that Biden even ran on, um, in, in 2020, although obviously he's governed differently. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, what, I don't know, Scott, like what's, what's your take on him? What do you think? It sounds like maybe, maybe you're not super familiar with him, but like maybe, maybe you do have some, some opinion on that. I mean, not really. Like I've I've heard his name a couple times in the past. I, I just, uh, you know, I'm a current affairs reader, so I was. Uh, that's where seeing seeing Nathan J. Robinson talk about him is what kind of got him as a blip on my radar. I am extremely skeptical of any billionaire candidate. I think all all billionaires are sociopaths to one degree or another. Um, but just seeing that that he was getting into the conversation a little bit, um, like I saw people talking about him, talking about uh, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, um, and kind of talking about a wider range of names than I'd had heard talk in the past. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Fetterman ran. Um, yeah, yeah, but but you never know. You never know. I mean, if, like if if it does end up to be like a wide open primary, I think you can see a whole bunch of people. Much 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 like we saw like last time. So for sure, yeah, I don't know. And Obama yeah, yeah. was a quick rise. Obama was a quick rise. He was. Um, although I, I mean, I think that always always need to remember with Obama that he was like like a like a generational like uh, political talent. Um, like, like, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody who really could compare to like his level of just, just being able to give a speech. I mean, like he's, he, he was on another level. So I think that, uh, like, that's just something to, to, to keep in mind, uh, like his, Mm. his like pure skill, uh, was, was, was pretty, pretty crazy there. So, but you know, like we could, we could see, uh, I guess we could see AOC too. Like who knows? Um, really, if it is, if it is wide open, it is wide open, but thanks Scott. Um, let's go to, uh, Cecilia or Cecile. I'm sorry. It's Cecile, right? Uh, You've called in a few times, but I I feel like I was (laughs) doing it wrong. Yes. It's Cecile. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Cecile. What's up? Yeah. Oh my God. Several things. Um, so first of all, Hillary, stop saying that. Owen. seriously. (laughs) It's like, oh God, no, Jesus. You can't even like, oh God. Anyway. Um, Oh God. I can't. Oh, okay. Um, no, my point was, first of all, I wanted to, to direct everybody towards the CNN article that I posted in the, in the, um, in the chat. Uh, it's 
absolutely, if you want to just have like a hysterical nervous breakdown and not in a funny way, uh, read the article. It's um, about basically how unprepared Biden was and the administration was about the row announcement and how they've been handling it and uh, talking about a call with uh, celebrity influencers and how apparently even Deborah Messing lost her shit during that call. And um, uh, it's just like every paragraph you get through, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's just it's really everybody has to read it. It's unbelievable. Um, and what I was saying also is, you know, I was expecting with the Biden administration, you know, we were all expecting weakness and corruption. I think many of us had sort of, you know, in the beginning when he gave that first State of the Union and tried to sound a little, you know, FDR-ish, you know, people were like, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, he's seeing the urgency of the moment and he's going to deliver and, you know, all of that. And then it just went completely downhill last year. Um, but so, yeah, we were all expecting kind of initially, I think, uh, you know, weakness and corruption. But I don't think anybody was expecting that level of incompetence, like the level of incompetence that I've observed and I've been following this every day. It's just, it's like Trump admin level. You know how they fucked up COVID. I mean, the Trump admin, but then you can say the Biden admin as well, right? I mean, they went all on the vaccine only thing and that kind of totally backfired as well. And uh, now everybody's pretending like COVID's over. Um, and it's like, it, it, what's really been surprising to me is it, at, at least everybody was kind of like, okay, you know, this is going to be a, centrist, shitty, you know, typical lib sort of um, centrist administration. But, you know, usually these technocrats, they at least if one thing that they're good at is sort of, you know, the admin sort of level stuff organizing, you know, like at least, like, you know, distributions of vaccines and, you know, or like, you know, being ahead of things, you know, in terms of all of the and it's just it's been shocking the level of 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 incompetence on on top of the corruption and the weakness but just one last thing um i just a couple of days ago i watched um and i know it's a bit cliche to mention him but a couple of days ago i watched a really good movie if you guys have access to hbo uh, it's from 2016 it's uh, called all the way and it's brian cranston is lbj and i know I know it's cliche to bring him up, but I just want to really tell everybody to watch it because it's basically about um, his first year in office and how he passed the the Civil Rights Act. And, you know, no, like, I'm not saying he's a good guy. Like, he was a piece of shit. But he was he was a very, very strong politician. Like, I, I you know, in the movie, they really show how he sort of threatened and 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 really, you know, pushed his way through all the Dixiecrats um, to to pass it. And then when you think about it, in five years that he was in office, because he was only in office for five years, he passed the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Medicare, Medicaid, and a bunch of other great society legislation. And then you think of Joe Biden in comparison. Um, I know it's not comparable, but just like the, the, the sheer, like just seeing that movie a couple of days ago, it just, it made me like almost cry. It was, it was just, yeah. Anyway, yeah. It was just I, I I had to share that frustration. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so thanks, Cecile. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that you know, to me, uh, the the error I think in comparing kind of LBJ to anybody is that he had the advantage of having had uh, you know his the president that he had come in as the VP for. 
be assassinated. And so he came in with like a level of political capital that is just not comparable. But also, I think, but I think, the, I think the point that you're really making here is that he was just a, like a good politician and knew how to manage the Senate, and he was. And Biden is not. I mean, there's a reason that that uh, that uh, LBJ was able to force this stuff through, and and that uh, that Biden thinks that he can uh, just be nice to people and that they'll do what he wants. I mean, these they're, they're just two fundamentally different views of politics, and I think that you know one is realistic and that uh one is a fantasy um and unfortunately we we don't have the realistic one right now so uh all we have is this kind of treading water while we wait for the uh, republicans to take over the government again which is essentially what's happening right now alex you're back what's up um yeah just real quick i also wanted to kind of um bring up the the moore versus harper case that's coming later in the year which is uh going to basically more than likely get ruled that independent state legislators can choose their electors, which was like the Trump strategy, but it wasn't, you know, enshrined in the cons in the <laughs> Supreme court that way. Um, and if that happens, which it seems like there's no opposition to at this point, elections are over anyway. And it's not even being addressed by anybody, but um, I think AOC said something about it. And I'm not even sure who else, but like virtually zero Democrats are talking about this. How can you tell us to vote when when you're going to let them overturn the votes? I just it's it's baffling and uh, it's terrifying that they're not even saying anything. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem likely that, like, you know, uh, we could see a situation where uh, the Democrat wins the popular vote uh, and and wins the, the popular vote in states enough more than enough states to win uh but then their state legislatures just overturn it right like that's like i think that's kind of where we're headed and the Mm -hmm. supreme court is kind of getting ahead of that and basically saying that it can be done at that point i don't really know like what we can do it would take it would take i mean the thing is that like i think people have to remember that the supreme court has no um, enforcement capability. The only way they can enforce things is through Congress giving money to police and, and deputizing them to enforce these laws. And, you know, and as far as executive orders go, you just put a bunch of them out, tie them up in court, you know, make them reject all these things, like uh, slow down the courts, at least. Uh, there's things that can be done. There's always things that can be done. And there's just no, there's no belly for the fight. There's no willpower uh, for any of this. And they're going to keep compromising until until the fascists have completely taken over all the branches of government and that's it and it's it's just maddening that they do not see the danger just before we go to walker because because i see i see walker right there but um what i mean what do you say to people on the left who counter with um you know that their their inaction is as good as uh collaboration so what's the point of even supporting democrats at this point i mean how do you respond to that because i think that i think that for because you are you like like you're a democrat right like or mm-hmm. you, like oh well, no you know. i'm not no. we have a th- okay. we have a successful statewide third party here so i don't vote for democrats um gotcha but, and, but so what yeah. so but at, i guess as somebody who used to be in that world like what is what is the affirmative act, uh, uh, argument for this? What is what is the positive argument for? Hey, uh, you should vote for, for for Democrats, or is it really just like 
either do that or or we descend further into this kind of far right fascist nightmare. Um, the only thing I would say is that I think it's important, especially uh, in legislature, uh, your state legislatures and your city council elections to vote for the furthest left person you can possibly get. Because I just think that, you know, it's not it's not the people that are informed and watching this shit every day that you have to worry about, like not voting like or protest voting. It's the people that are just so goddamn demoralized by their lives continually getting worse, things continually getting more expensive, death and disease everywhere, cops mowing people down, shooters everywhere you go and seeing no action. And they're not following at all the way we are, right? Like, you, like maybe you could convince me to vote, but I live in Vermont and it doesn't matter what I think, like <laughs> quite literally. But, you know, I'm always going to vote in city council. I'm always going to vote for my state people because at that point this is like while they keep sending things to the states the states that can resist this are probably our best bet while we get organized and prepare to like strike and 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 actually fight for things in this country but you know i i as far as nationally i i can't make a good case for it i i like i gotta be honest with you because i just don't i think that the people that they're losing they're losing because they're demoralized and they're, and you're not and the, the you know the blue checks that are berating the shit out of people on twitter are not going to change that whatsoever you know you just really have to improve material conditions for people if you want their votes and you know it's the simplest formula in the world that they can't do so you know they were really popular when they had the child tax credit it was immensely helpful it pulled kids out of poverty that went away. Everything else went away. Everything's gotten worse. Our rights have gotten rolled back and now they're unpopular. You know, even though we think that people aren't super educated or whatever, they really are. They do have a sense that the country's going in the wrong direction and the Democrats aren't doing anything and that Congress is useless. You know, the polling bears that out. So they're not totally unaware. They're just not following it every single day. All they know is that Democrats aren't fighting for them. Yeah, I think I think the the uh, you know voters are ignorant and don't know what they're doing. Trope is like one of the things that pisses me off the most. Uh, like like no, they're not stupid. They know they know what's going on. Um, so let's uh, we're going to jump to to walk now. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for um, thanks for uh, calling back in. I just I just do want to say that in the chat, uh, Dane commented, and I think this is an interesting one. Uh, you know, uh, like kind of future casting here. Democrats get locked out of White House forever. GOP gets rid of the filibuster, bans abortion nationally. Um, almost certainly what's going to happen. Um, if you don't think that the that the GOP is going to blow up the filibuster the instant that they need to, like, I don't know what to tell you, uh, which is I think that I think especially for, you know, for people who aren't Democrats like me and like Alex and like I'm sure uh, so many of you uh, watching watching this shit just not happen has been in incredibly frustrating um and 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 watching this inaction and just like apathy has been has been completely maddening uh so walker thanks for joining how how's it going today hey owen how are you doing i'm doing well i'm doing well what's up well i wanted to i wanted to call in because i I think this is a this is a fun episode and kind of like a nice group therapy session um but yeah no i share a lot of the concerns that i've that i've heard today uh especially about you know sort of the direction that we're headed. I mean, it's, it, it is quite possible that, that the state legislature, uh, state legislative coup that, that we're talking about happens. I mean, it's like, it's like a, a, incomprehensible, uh, 10 years ago. And 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 now we're at this point. I mean, like, I think something that people need to understand is just how gerrymandered these state legislative districts are. So undoing this, 
this trend once once they once they take the the plunge and once they do this uh undoing it is going to be incredibly difficult um it's one of the reasons i've been you know talking about gerrymandering for for years but like i mean this is I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if if this is sort of fixable. I, I, I think that in order to in order to combat what we're seeing today, and I'm, this is not doomerism. I'm not trying to be you know a, a doomer type person, but in order to do that, you have to sort of match what the right has done uh, pound for pound at at every level. Like uh, there was the the Powell memo from 1971 that sort of outlined how corporate ghouls could could hijack government and they followed that sort of to the letter charles Koch followed that to the letter to take over academic institutions create a media apparatus uh you know stack the judiciary like sort of all of all of those things they they followed that and and the left really needs to start you know thinking in those in those terms i mean i i just i i don't see i don't see this this sort of getting resolved in the next decade. I think it's going to take many years of, of work that we don't have. Uh, the alternative is violence. And, you know, that that's a horrific uh, possibility that, that I, you know, am struggling with, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just, it's so bleak. I, and I was curious, I wanted to hear, you know, sort of what you think the, the, the solution is to all of this because everybody can sort of diagnose the problem. It's just, how do we, how do we fix it? Yeah, boy, I don't know. Um, it, I mean, it is, it is pretty deep. Uh, so, uh, thanks Walker. We, we got, we got a bunch of people, so we're just going to kind of, um, run through, uh, uh, calls relatively quickly now because, uh, we've got about 15, 20 minutes here, but, um, yeah, I don't really know like what a great solution is uh, to this state level local problem. Um, I think Walker's comment about how gerrymandered the state districts are is really something that, that can't be overstated. Um, that and 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 this kind of ties into like I think what Alex and Walker were both talking about. I think both of these things like really tie into each other because you like it, it, in order to secure uh any kind of like uh, uh like like bulwark against um a kind of national takeover of minoritarian far right rule you would need uh to be able to ensure that you have all of the states under control uh, in order to have the states under control you need to have them uh you need to have like democratically drawn districts instead of gerrymandered ones in order to do that uh, you would need to have like this kind of wholesale change in the way uh, that the that the U.S. Uh, works, and I don't really know how that's going to happen. I mean, these these challenges are so huge that it's very difficult to think of how they can get resolved, especially in like the next like uh, fifty-two or no, uh, not fifty-two, um, uh, twenty-eight months, right? So we have twenty-eight months until uh, the next. Uh, federal national election, not the midterms, but like, you know, for president, uh, there's, I think, well over a 50% chance that, again, like what we were talking about will happen where uh, the state legislatures will give the electors 
to uh, the Republican candidate, irrespective of if they win the popular vote in that state or not. And once that happens, I think that's kind of it. Like, like I don't really know how you kind of come back from that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm also not trying to be a doomer on this, but uh, I don't really know, like, <laughs> how to possibly put it in any positive way. Uh, the, the, the only party that can kind of resist this right-wing takeover uh, is feckless and uh, is, is unwilling to do almost anything for a number of reasons that we probably don't have time to really get into. Uh, but it, it's, it's just it's a systemic issue of, of corruption and apathy. And yeah, I don't really know like uh, what, what, what the solution is, sadly, um, other than you know taking uh, extra electoral uh, means uh, to deal with it. Pierre, uh, you are up. Uh, how's it going? How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I'm, I'm not going to excuse um, the tendency for the Democratic leadership to be overly cautious and also just really hesitant to turn over the reins to a younger generation of leaders, which I think is necessary. But I really think it's important to really remind people that our political institutions really affect our perception of how effective um, Democrats are and just political outcomes in general. You know, if we had a system where each vote was counted equally in the Senate, we'd have, not we, but Democrats would have, what, 53, 54 senators. They'd be able to eliminate the filibuster, pass Build Back Better, democracy reform, um, you know, do uh, codify and row and do all. I'm not saying they would fall through with all these things, but they'd have more votes to do it. And I think the perception of their effectiveness would, would um, be a lot different. So I think, you know, working in a system where Republicans currently have what amounts to constitutional affirmative action, I think that affects perceptions of how effective the party is. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like like the party's effectiveness is curtailed by th- their unwillingness to have like this level of party discipline where they can actually get things passed. I mean, uh, like, I mean, and and I guess you could say that it goes both ways. That that Republicans had a bit of a problem uh, under Trump uh, for those two years in the Senate when when it was like narrowly the other way, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 hard for me to. It's hard for me, I guess, to kind of excuse that. Um, but but I get what you're saying. I'm I'm not I'm 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 not trying to I'm I'm not trying to like uh, kind of you know I'm I'm not exactly saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that um, that I, like I understand that point of view. I'm just not sure that I uh, would really agree with it, but. Uh, let's let's go with Lauren now. Lauren, what's up? Hey, Owen. Um, I I don't know. I just had a thought. You know, thinking of uh, all the different ways that Democrats have shit the bed since January 2021. Um, and as a teacher, this one was kind of relevant to me. You know, since COVID began, um, schools were providing. They got the funding to provide free meals for all of their students, rather than it being you know, means tested based on their family's income and having all this paperwork and shit that parents had to fill out. Um, and that funding was allowed to expire. So in September, you know, late August, early September, whenever the school year starts, you know, depending on your state, families are going to have to start paying for their kids' lunches 
again. And I think that this is just one of like the little little things that Democrats overlook, um, you know, ways that they fail people that they don't even notice because they are so out of touch. And I, I don't know how, because I am a registered Democrat. I'm in a state with a closed primary. Um, so for the sake of voting in the primaries, I have a party affiliation. Um, I just, I don't, they, even these little things, you know, like a school lunch for a family, which doesn't seem like much, but it's just another thing that adds up and piles up. It's like, they're just, I don't know, the, the wealth that's present in the Senate that, and, and the legislature more broadly that we just don't have here on the ground. They are just so out of touch. And I really, I don't know how to get these people to realize that these issues matter and motivate voters who aren't online, who aren't on Twitter, that the, the chattering classes, you know, they're not going to get to these people. They're not going to shame them into voting because, you know, for all the shit that people talk on Twitter, like people's lives, their material conditions need to be addressed. And they just seem to be so, I don't know, overlooked by the powers that be. And it's, yeah, I'm feeling like a doomer because I don't know what to do about it. It's just, you know, another another way that I'm noticing that they're fucking up and failing people. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. And, you know, I think I think that that is a really like uh, a really good point. Um, and, and the willingness of the party uh, to kind of sacrifice uh, people on, on the altar of, uh, if, if I can kind of like stretch the metaphor a little bit, like on the altar of like, quote unquote, like getting things done, um, is, is really distressing to watch. Right. And I think that you see that right now, uh, with the, with the abortion, uh, rights being taken away from people in red states, when you are telling people that like their only option, like what you, what you're telling them, when you are telling people that what they should be doing is registering to vote and vote in November, um, you are basically telling any people who need abortion services within the next four months and are trapped in a situation where they can't afford or they can't, for, for whatever reason, they can't uh, access those services because of, of uh, where they live or, or the, you know, all of the different hurdles. Um, you're basically telling them they could, that, that like, sorry, uh, you don't, you don't get to get that. We're not going to do anything for you now. You're fucked. Um, and you know, like, let's, let's just hope that you can come together and, and maybe vote, uh, in, in four months and then maybe things will get better again. And again, like, I think it's important as well. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to go off here just for a second, but like, I think it's really important as well to note that like. Yeah, so in four months, you could make that vote. Then you still have another two months uh, plus of the same Senate, or just, I think it's exactly two months of the same Senate. So that's another, so now it's six months, right? And now, so let's say you have, uh, you now have the votes uh, to get Roe codified. Well, that's going to take at least like three weeks to a month. And that's even saying that they make that a top priority, which they almost certainly will not. So anybody that you're telling to vote, that 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 will somehow make things better as far as abortion access, um, as far as like codifying rows, as far as like having the right to an abortion across the country. What you are essentially telling them is that you get to have that long, long, long after it's going to be of any use to you, and that is the kind of message 
that does not particularly help. It's like the same thing with the school lunch thing that Lauren Simon. It's the same thing with the child tax credit that an earlier caller uh, was talking about. I mean, it, it's like the same thing. It's like, 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 hey, you know, we need help now. Hey, sorry, uh, we're not going to give you help now. But you know, if you if you make these votes, maybe at some point in the next year, uh, we'll be able to help you out with with. Uh, with some legislation, maybe if we can get it through, which we probably won't be able to because of whatever political considerations we like that are, are out there now. It's very frustrating. And uh, it is the kind of thing that does, you know, uh, put you into into straight up doomerism. Uh, anyway, uh, with that, with that, uh, Dwight, how are you? Uh, what's going on? You want to hit that mute button down on the bottom right there? Oh, buddy, you got my number right there, don't you? Huh? There we go. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. What's up? Good, good afternoon, Owen. Thanks for having me on. Firstly, of course, uh, let's go, Brandon. Um, one <laughs> of the things that I've been thinking about recently is, and, and you just mentioned it, is um, this notion that that Democrats only essentially talk about, which is getting things done. And I watched a nauseating uh, interview that Barack Obama did in late 2020 on Snap News. That is Snapchat news. Nobody looked at this. I mean, this is, you know, companies never turn to profit. It's bullshit. It's just another corporate initiative that goes nowhere. Anyway, and he talked about, you know, you know, we will want to focus on getting things done. And he said he cited two things. He was like, well, I think, you know, AOC and Joe Biden both agree that they want to do something on climate change. And now you fast forward, you know, to what we just had in the last two weeks, which is the you know, dreadful EPA ruling that the, that the SCOTUS did. And the answer is nothing has gotten done. There's no build back better. There's no over, there's barely even over towards, overtures towards climate change. Couple that with the other devastating ruling of, of Roe v. Wade striking it down. And I looked at three data points that the Democrats have done in the last, as, as a reaction. And the first one was the giving the SCOTUS, uh, uh, Supreme Court justices and their families security detail, right? Because Democrats only have one move, and that's more cops. They gave them security detail to make sure that their bodies were protected, basically, from us, you know, the, the, the pissed-off electorate, obviously. The other one was uh, they trotted out uh, uh, Vice President Harris to go on Dana Bash, and she said, you know, what, what, would, uh, what do you say to Democrats who have worked hard to elect a Democratic majority? Just do it now. And Kamala Harris said, do what now? Brazenly, brazenly, just, just pissing in our faces. And the third one was again. These are purposeful acts. They had Secretary Becerra, the Health and Human Services uh, uh, Secretary, who, by the way, got COVID twice in five weeks, <laughs> and they were very concerned about showing how quickly he went back to work and wearing a mask and all that stuff. But anyway. Uh, he came out and he was asked uh, this weekend on uh, Chuck Todd saying, you know, what do you think about Roe v. Wade? And basically his message was, this is the law of the land. So unless we want to, you know, stop listening to the Supreme Court, we have to do what they say. So let me, I'm let looking me actually, at, you know, let, 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 yeah, let me actually play both of these clips. Really oh, quickly, please. Just so just so that we can we can have the context. And so uh, so I think we're. I'll chat with Dwight a little bit. Here, Dwight will have the last call. Um, and, and You're very we'll, kind. We'll play, yeah, we'll play these clips, or maybe we'll go to Mike. We'll see. Anyway, um, so we'll play these clips, and then and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Okay. So first, here's the Harris and Dana Bash. And I think I may have actually, I think I may have actually played this uh, before, but it's such a great clip. Let's just listen to it again. What do you say to Democratic voters who argue? Wait a minute. 
We worked really hard to elect a Democratic president yeah. and vice president, yeah. Democratic-led House, yeah. a Democratic-led Senate. Do it now. But do what now? So that's uh, that's, oh! that's the Harris clip, and she does go on to say some some other stuff. I understand that, uh, but like that one little soundbite is just so damning, and I think it does actually like really uh, reflect uh, their feelings. So this is uh, Becerra, who I think I think this is actually worse, right? Because she's Harris yes. in, in her defense, right? Uh, like, and, and as much as I hate to do that, but like in her defense, she is just kind of like they're having to like eat shit for the entire administration. So like, and, and the only thing that she has obviously been like authorized to say is this like empty bullshit. And so she's just like, all right, well, I'm just saying that. But, uh, but, uh, but Sarah is different. Like he's the health and human services secretary. Um, this guy should have an answer and his answer I think is even worse. And actually kind of even like an even, uh, more perfect like summation of where, the uh, the administration is on this stuff. They're just like so committed to norms and institutions. So here's uh, here's this is on Meet the Press on Sunday. This is Chuck Todd and and Secretary Becerra. You've been spending some days finding and uh, trying to find new avenues. Is there any avenue you found that can actually expand abortion rights uh, in places that it's going to be taken away? Chuck, uh, if you look at our laws and the way we administer them, when the Supreme Court speaks, unless we're all going to say that the word of the Supreme Court will no longer have value, we have to heed the word of the Supreme Court. I mean, that is just, well, I mean, what it is, it's just giving up, right? It's just automatically giving up right out the gate. It's like saying, like, I'm sorry, no, like, we're not. We're, we're not going to do anything. And so I think that's what you're referring to, right? Just this like complete inability to think outside the box, this complete inability to do anything different than, uh, than, than just rely on the norms that got us to this point in the first place. Whenever you hear them saying we want to get things done or we're doing, we want to search every Avenue, we're doing everything we can. We want to overturn, uh, you know, turn up every stone. That means that that is code for, we ain't going to do shit. That's it. That's that's simply it. And 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 you have to ask, is this just part of the tacit consent that they have? And the reality is maybe they are a pro-life administration as because that's if you if you take them by their actions. What else conclusion do you have? They don't give a shit about you or me. They don't give a shit. And there's there's nothing uh, unless there's some grand action. And, and I talking to the producer of Eat the Rich, uh, you know, the other day and we were saying how, you know, Politicians react to markets and markets react to disruption. And if we want to explore and we're talking about this on the recent Dwight's Bites, looking at like civil disobedience uh, and, and different pieces of direct action, in my opinion, those are the avenues that we need to explore, which I will give no details for on this program. Owen. Right. Um, but the uh, but I mean, if we look at the things, I mean, hell, in 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 two days. gummed up the airports and capital could no longer move around. It took you're two talking, days. You, sorry, you, 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 you ducked out there for a second, but you're talking about after the Muslim ban? Yes, it took two days uh, for, for a judge to you know strike it down as unconstitutional right after, and I swear to God it was the afternoon that we gummed up the airports and we stopped flights from being able to like go through. 
And so when you make those disruptions and disrupt how capital moves, whether that's coming up supply chains or doing other forms of like direct action, that's when things happen extremely quickly. Yeah, I think I think that it's also like I I think that, you know, a, a pushback to that point, though, right, would be to say that, well, there was like a massive mobilization after uh, the court came out with the Roe decision. And there was even a massive mobilization, including people like literally pounding on the doors of the Supreme Court uh, when Kavanaugh uh, was uh, was sworn in. Um, there, you know, th- th- there have been mo- like extra electoral mobilizations, activist mobilizations that have happened um, even as we have we have seen uh, things getting worse. Like we've been seeing like liberals becoming like slightly radicalized, being like kind of more willing. I mean, like the George Floyd protests is like a perfect example of this, where you had like this massive yep. mobilization around the country. Um, and then it just always seems like it kind of dissipates. But I guess that the question would be like, you know, because that stuff didn't, didn't change the course. I mean, Although I it think maybe the George Floyd protests would actually kind of would would kind of back up your point because like the, like after that happened, a lot of like local and state and city legislatures started to uh, started to like talk about like what it would look like uh, to kind of rethink policing. Uh, obviously, they didn't end up doing that, but they did talk about it. Also, uh, like Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, like did that uh, taking a knee thing. Uh, so that was that was good too. Like you know that she she really. I- Got out there with that. The with that most message. unbelievable act of caucasity I think I've ever seen. I mean, positively disgusting, disgustingly racist act. In my opinion, that was the most just fucking off-color, disgusting thing I've ever seen. And and again, to your point of of the you know protests. I mean, firstly, we're seeing the criminalization of protests everywhere. And I like what what Birdgrave said here, which is you know a state sanctioned protest is just a parade. But also in reference to you know banging on the doors at the Supreme Court, markets weren't harmed. The markets didn't react, and and politicians served the markets and the capital interests that own them, you know which own our political economy. And until those are disrupted through through direct action. And it's just what I'm seeing empirically is is what yields the results. Those supply chains and and uh, and and the markets need to be gummed up and and ground to a halt. And and in fact, they're they are more. These markets are more vulnerable than ever because they've moved towards this just in time supply chain model where they're you know we're seeing we've been living in the uh, Marxist rate of tendency of profit to fall for the last like. 20 years, I feel like it's been like it's just on the ragged edge of marginal growth. And and so I feel like they are more susceptible than ever to these sorts of things. Definitely, definitely. Well, you know, we do uh, on this show. So thanks, Dwight. Thank you so much for uh, for calling in. And, Thank you for having me. Uh, yep. Definitely looking forward to having you having you uh, call in more uh, in the future. Um, I, you know, I do I do want to say that, like, you know, one thing that we do talk about uh, on this program a lot is the importance and the necessity of uh civil disobedience and and other kind of you know uh, disruptive acts and and the necessity of protest and working with uh working with groups and 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 parts of your community that that are not just uh you know just like put put xyz person into office i think that stuff is certainly Really, really, really important. 
Um, and I think that this is a good place to end just because we did so much doomerism earlier in the show. Like at least there is like maybe like a, a, a path forward and we can kind of take our rage and, and our, uh, our energy and kind of, uh, push it into some kind of positive change. So, uh, so thanks everybody, uh, for listening and, you know, we'll be back next week. We'll be back, I think on Tuesday. Um, if you're listening live, or uh, on replay on the app, please be sure to subscribe and to follow. Um, if you're listening via syndication on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to follow, like, subscribe, do and all of the uh, all of these different sites call it different things, but it's all the same thing. Um, so thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see you next. Uh, we'll see you next week.